0: Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. I'd like so, to welcome you to The Writer's Story. The Writer's Story, once again, it is it's April, but it feels like August.
1: <laughs> it's suddenly really warm. Really,
0: really warm. And all the leaves are on the trees and I'm wearing shorts and a
1: tank top. Tank top here too. And I watered plants for the first some of these transplants for the first time. I had to do uh, since getting them in the ground but yeah high 80s all of a sudden and we haven't had rain for a little while so I walked around and well we did actually have rain
0: it just got sucked up
1: yeah right away
0: Yeah, right away so yeah
1: yeah but here we are in spring and really I had no complaints I am loving it
0: yes yes I am too I was I we we it got warm and then it got cold again. And when it was cold again I just felt so down oh. about it. I think there was a day that it was grey and I just felt like No <laughs> I don't <laughs> want any more I don't want any more winter. But yeah, we are sort of the sunshine, the warmth, we're sort of crawling our way out of COVID seclusion here because you recently got your second shot. Yep.
1: Yeah, just yesterday.
0: Yeah, and um I've been vaccinated since January, but it's what's interesting is more and more information is coming out about how much more free you can be now that you're vaccinated. And uh, so that's really exciting.
1: It is good, good news. Very yeah. Good. Very good. good news. Although it's sort of a mixed bag, I think, for some of us who <laughs> are accustomed to being, um, you know, all alone and doing our thing that way. As a writer, of course, it has given me permission to say be a no,
0: no thank you yeah no thank you i don't want to do that
1: <laughs> yeah though it'll be it'll be really great to gather again in person
0: yeah but, i um my i had a funny thing where my husband went off to a work meeting on friday at four o'clock at someone's house and then he texted me about 15 minutes later he said oh it's a family thing you should come and first of all my son had taken the other car so I didn't have a car to get out there but I was like I need more than 10 minutes warning to go to a party <laughs> brace myself internally for like at least minutes. 24 hours <laughs> I just spontaneously go to it a was, party it was super funny like meanwhile we're reading and doing all this I was like no I think I'll lay in the hand <laughs> it's okay <laughs> Oh,
1: well, um, Uh, tell me about your writing these days, Meredith. It is
0: slowly, I am slowly revising again and, you know, trying to, I think I've got like a word count goal of 600 words every day, which is a good start to sort of get my toes in it. And I feel like I'm writing scenes all over the place. It's for a thriller that I kind of abandoned at one point because I was, I didn't have the twists that I needed and so while of course I was working on something else I figured out what twists I wanted and so now I'm back to it and I'm trying to work it out but um yeah and then in the part then part of the time I'm thinking maybe this is really a mystery (laughs) (laughs) so you know normal normal writing stuff how about you?
1: (laughs) Well, it, I hear you. Normal writing stuff. I am revising this novel, um, a road trip novel, that I've. You
0: inexplicably decided to change your your starting point, which made you, <laughs> gave you lots of
1: work. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I did that so so cavalierly. I thought, oh, nothing to it, and then I'm I'm thinking, well, I've never I've never I think driven through Alabama. I don't know, it. so I'm doing Google Earth time and. All that and uh, but anyway it's I'd I'd like to say it's coming together yesterday you know I keep a notebook at my side that I sort of talk to myself in Um, it's not really a journal and it's it's just a it's a messy kind of book but it's super helpful to me because I can I can turn to that when I need some psychotherapy (laughs) and provide that to myself so yesterday I wrote I wrote oh This is a mess. I'm all over the place, and then a little bit later, I wrote, "No, you've got this. You can do this." (laughs) It's just how it feels sometimes. It's not as confused as you think it is, and um, so I'm kind of I'm trying to go with that. Uh, But yeah, I had switched some things around. I'm trying to. I still am um, massaging. Plot points. I'm still trying to decide where some of the information that I'll ferret out, if you will, or kind of um, what's the word, ration my information, where the information will fall relative to the way that the story unfolds. So that um, that's been an up and down experience. I don't know how it is for you, but I get kind of visceral about it when I start thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is such a mess." I feel my whole body like it's like a, a great embarrassment. I think I'd probably turn red and start sweating. It's, I t- take this very seriously. And I think the stakes are so low. Nobody is dying for me to finish this novel. No one's, no one knows anything about it. No one's, <laughs> so. I don't know if I, take... I get that
0: visceral about it. Maybe I'm just used to it being
1: such a mess that I've become
0: accustomed <laughs> to the messiness. But um, I try to think about how to turn a negative into a positive whenever possible. So one of the things that's really useful, for instance, if you're writing a mystery and you really can't decide who the murderer is, is that you end up with lots of great suspects because you're writing very blithely, like someone's doing it. And then you're like, oh no, they couldn't have done it. And then you write very, uh, and so you end up (laughs) strengthening your book. So you have to think about how possibly you're strengthening your book
1: oh boy i like that by making like it a big that. old
0: mess and then having to fix it again so
1: i don't know i, I don't like know that. yeah yeah
0: that's probably what i just tell myself when i i'm on the 20th rewrite yeah i don't i don't know um how people write a book and do one revision and then publish it i mean i really i always think that they're lying which is probably not a really good thing to think about people <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: yeah but books are such Un, they're they're unwieldy, they're unpredictable, I think. I mean, remember our conversation with Kristen Page when she talked about her novel Fingerprints of You really came all in a rush and that was a quickly written novel, but that has not been true with a number of her other novels. So I you know, I'd like to think that there are those novels out there for us that will happen To just fly off the yes board but um sadly the current ones are not them (laughs) no no. (laughs) I love I do love the first draft the first draft comes pretty quickly for me but then when I start really picking it apart and thinking further about and it definitely was not excellent in its first draft um, but yeah, that's kind of fun to for me to generate. That's been my experience. But again, I that could change with the next one. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm also balancing the writing right now with um, some non the fiction with some nonfiction, um, which has been really nice because that's so much more. Um, at least this particular project is so much more defined, and there's a clarity about its organization, and I'm excited about it. Because, so it's actually a um, piggybacking on this most recent book, the most peculiar book, um, in which I'm actually taking the last chapter of that and making it a bigger, um, making it its own book. That is, this Ten Commandments for Reading the Bible. It's something that the editor at Oxford was interested in and, and um, asked if I would be interested in writing that book, and my first reaction was not not so much. I wanted to do other kinds of things, I thought, but I'm realizing that it may be a vehicle for me to articulate some things I've been thinking about and got me into that whole biblical studies world in the first place in a lot of ways that bring, um, that have profound relevance for the 21st century, and that's really exciting to me.
0: Well, that was so interesting because uh, just, you know, we had another guest on who was talking about balancing short fiction and longer books, like this sort of way to, um, probably a couple of people have referenced that, probably Ed did that as well, that, you know, a book takes so long that sometimes you have to, it's helpful to have other projects that you are more defined or smaller or, you know, that you can bang out. I know you've, been blogging and doing haikus, I think all that stuff is is also really helpful to just Yes. Work a creative muscle but in a way that's not such a long term
1: slog. <laughs> Absolutely. That is so, so true. And yeah, the haiku a day thing has been really a lifesaver. That and working outside <laughs> planting all these things which now are like budding out, and oh, it's so exciting to see some of these um, natives, these shrubs and trees that I got from the Department of Forestry, and then I found a nursery down the road that does native, they, they um, have plants um, for transplanting that are native to the area. Oh my gosh, it's so much fun to see that, and that's immediate gratification. <laughs> Yeah, as opposed to the novel, which is not always. Although you know, a scene, a scene can be. Yep. Yep. No, I think it's. I think it's interesting.
0: It's good to balance, though, to to find out what you need. Um, you know, need to have happen, um, for you to continue going. I mean, I find the journal practice is really useful for me too. Um, you know, reflecting on. You know gratitude and focus and you know just thinking about all those things are really helpful too and also to get your yourself writing you know something to get yourself moving and thinking before you plunge into something because it can be really hard to go from you know i don't know cooking making a phone call and then you sit down and you're like oh i'm writing this book now <laughs> sometimes that yeah. could be a really a challenging transition we've had virtual school until recently and then uh, my husband's been home working and so we're all stuck in a house together and
1: we do not own a mcmansion (laughs)
0: so so,
1: So you really are sharing that space so we can
0: hear each other and you know and that's just happens so it has its own challenges because i think I can sort of talk to myself and say, well, you know, you might be more productive on this book if you could just get a little peace and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> People not interrupting. <laughs> yeah. So, uh. Uh, yeah. But anyway, they're all, it's all good. It's all lots of challenges. Well, I'm super excited about our guest today, Alex Segura. He, I met him at the Festival of the Book, and he's just a really, really nice guy. And he had, a private eye series, and that's what he came with to Crime wave. But he just does a ton of things. and he so we', we ask him about all of them. He is uh, writes novels, comic books, short stories, and he also writes podcasts, you know, fiction podcasts. He's got <laughs> so much fun. He's got a um, he, uh, he had a, a young adult podcast called Lethal Lit. And it was named one of the five best podcasts by the New York Times. And then he also is co-president of Archie Comics. He's written comics for young readers. And he wrote a Star Wars book called Star Wars Poe Dameron Freefall. Cool. So lots of different stuff. I really am curious about the whole you know, collaboration with artists, you know, comics, graphic novels, fiction. And how he juggles all that stuff. So I'm super excited to talk to him. Me too. So let's go call him up. Alex, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. We're super excited to have you.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Um, I think you were at the festival of the book two or three years ago, is that right?
2: Yeah, I think it was 2018.
0: 2018, time flies when you're having a oh, pandemic. Yeah, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah exactly.
0: Well, you're good. You missed the last two, which uh, were not in. One didn't happen, and then the next was virtual, which was which was interesting. It was an interesting
2: experience. Um, I think I, I interviewed John Vircher at his panel, so I was was somehow I was participating somehow. I oh, think it was, this
0: no, year? Last year. Oh, last year. Oh, okay. Yeah, they did. Um, they kind of stretched it out over the year it's great they did a lot of really fun stuff this year and it, and it yeah. was fun this year i just think that we've all gotten a little bit of zoom fatigue
2: <laughs> yeah i mean yesterday i had like five zooms back to back so I oh. <laughs> just, wow. just feel like yeah it was bizarre it's just like you feel like why is my voice going away oh because i've been talking for five hours but and i'm it's, not uh, used you know, to it either i don't know no i'm much more of a people person i like to interact with people but yeah yeah sorry what can you do
0: yeah, Kristen and I used to do this in person. We would interview the person on Skype or whatever, but we would be together.
1: Oh and, nice. And you no. Know, back we, when you could go shoulder to shoulder with a non relative. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, think really. twice about it. That's right. Yeah, you could go out, outside your pod, but uh, are you guys vaccinated yeah. or
1: Yes.
0: Um, Great. yeah, yeah. Kristen got back her second shot yesterday. How about you?
2: Yes, yes. So i'm already past that immunity period whatever that means like we're still being cautious so
1: alex you've got little little kids um they're at home with you and you're doing all of this writing how what has that been like
2: it's been hard i mean yeah we have two young ones our daughter's two and our son is five and um they're both at home and he's doing homeschool, you know virtual school so it's it's challenging i think it's um I used to go to an office and work my day job and then come home and write at night and um, that's still kind of my routine I do my day job stuff during the day and write at night but it's it's just more complicated you know you want you help out with the kids there's just uh, a lot more stuff going on Um, it's challenging but I think everyone's facing these challenges in different ways so I don't you know it's I'm not really woe is me about it it's just you still have to get the work done so
1: Yeah, yeah yeah And what work you are doing? Oh my goodness, we're so excited to ask you about some of the specifics. Yeah. Um, yeah, working in these different genres. One of the one of the first questions we love to ask people is how they got started writing. When was it that you knew you were a writer? How did that happen for you? That's
2: a great question. Um... I think I've always wanted to, I've always been a reader ever since I was a little kid, and I always would always kind of jot down ideas of like what would happen if this happened, or just, I'd always kind of extrapolate what I learned. You know, like characters I read, like comic books, or um, science fiction, or true crime, or things like that, and and I'd just jot down my own ideas and, and try to, I think I always wanted to be a writer, I just didn't really know what a writer was, really, until maybe, you know like middle school or high school when we start kind of connecting the names on the books to actual people and that's when i you know i wanted to draw my own comics and so i'd kind of draw my very own rudimentary stories and um, i think in college is when i really got into like short story writing and i still have like a i wrote a draft of like a very great gatsby-esque novel that i never finished in college just when you know you, you want to be like that literary hero and. Um, then I fell in love with genre fiction and, and that went out the window. <laughs> <laughs> and did you... And it keep, should have, probably.
1: <laughs> and did you keep doing the comics right along?
2: Um, I think I, I just didn't know uh, the discipline for being an artist. Just I didn't stick with that. I mean, I can still draw pretty well, but I don't have the same... I don't have the I, mm-hmm. the ability to like draw a comic book. But I, I can kind of sketch something out. But the, the desire to write was always there. And I'd write stories even as a kid, like different, you know, my own characters and things like that. and um, So that was, the, the passion for comics was always there, so prose and comics were kind of neck and neck.
0: Oh, that's so cool. I also, um, I was curious, do you, do you write, I know that your, your, your um, mystery series, you said you
2: brought it to a close, which I'm always a little suspicious of, because people will <laughs> often
0: say that, and they'll be like, And "Wait, one more, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, there but, might be one more. I mean, I, I kind of, it's funny, because, I didn't expect the response I got when I announced like Miami Midnight before it came out. I said, this is the last one. And a bunch of people sent me like not angry letters, but like very sad emails like, oh my God, I can't. I don't know why this is ending. Like, why would you end this? And even like other authors that I admired, like Ian Rankin was like, why would you do that? <laughs> and then I started to like think about it. So I started to couch the wording as we got into promoting the last book. I said, this is probably the last one for a while. Like. You never want to say never but it, it's definitely the end of that first arc and until i have another idea that fits it probably will be the end and
0: well I, I really liked what you had to say about it you um, you said i was always interested in writing about how someone becomes a private eye, less interested in the episodic churn of being a pi and i feel like i completely identify with that i wrote two books in my series and then my editor died and so i kind of And then as soon as I was sort of set free, I was like, well, is that what I really wanna do? Do I wanna write 20 of the same character? Like, it just felt like almost a prison to me. Yeah. And, you know, and there's people who do it just with such grace and can think of wonderful new plots for the same people and can take it in all different directions. And I just was like, I'm not sure if that's me.
2: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, I love long-running series, I love like the Harry Bosch books and, you know, obviously like Matt Scudder and those are the ones that, you know, I have a, I was really passionate about those, but the ones that really resonated with me when I was writing the Pete books were, you know, things like Tess Monahan and Tess, Laura Lippmann wrote a lot of Tess Monahan books, there's like, I think a dozen or so, but still it felt like Tess was moving forward with each book and so I, w- I never wanted it to feel like I was kind of faking change or making, giving this false sense of evolution, you know, just to keep the characters around. I wanted readers to pick up the books and feel like anything could happen. Like characters would die and dynamics would change. And um, I think by the fifth book, it felt like I had put Pete through so much that anything else would feel harder and harder to believe without some kind of dynamic change. And I didn't want it to become something like this is no disrespect to the show, but like Law and Order or SEU, where it's less about the characters and it's much more about the case. Then, then you know, like this is what's happening on this episode, and the characters are are perpetual, and it's much more plot driven, plot driven, and episodic. And I want I wanted to see the character evolve, and, and I reached a point where it felt like I was pushing him very far, and so I needed to I needed to take at least a long break and do something else.
0: I also um, before we talk about, you know, go back to comic books. The other thing that was really interesting that I found while I was poking around on your um, site was that you actually got um, an idea for Pete's mom while listening to Attica Locke at the Festival of the Book. And I love that you because I mean, this is I mean, we talked a lot about like, why do we gather? (laughs) Why do we why do we have these events? Um, And I remember so much of that event too. She, she was um, such a great speaker. Yeah. And I had never had the chance to see her speak before. So it was a great, like, you know, event because sometimes we'll have a speaker and I'll be like, oh yeah, I've seen, I've seen this person before and let's see if they do something new, you know? But I was just really wonderful speaker. And um, Kristen apparently and I don't remember this part because this didn't give me a story idea. But she said she was talking about her protagonist and an alcoholic mom, and Alex got an idea. Yeah, I, said I mean, her she mom. was the
2: keynote. Yeah, yeah, she was the keynote speaker, which, and it was a it was a fantastic speech, like you were saying. And she's she was so well spoken. I was just impressed with how easily and naturally she spoke in front of the audience. But. You know, the Pete series, the first book, Silent City, is very much about Pete and his dad, who was a homicide detective who died suddenly, and it was a lot about legacy and living up to this ideal of his dad, and I knew when I was writing the first book that there would be a story about his mom, but I didn't think I was ready to tell it yet, so I kind of put it in my back pocket, and I, I knew I would get to it. And then the series continued, and we did the other books in the series, and then I was listening to Attica Speak, and she mentioned that, you know, in Bluebird, Bluebird, her protagonist character is an alcoholic, and, and Pete is a recovering alcoholic through most of the series. And it just kind of clicked. I, was, I, I knew what the crime was going to be in Miami Midnight. I didn't know what the reason for the book was. I didn't want it to just be like a case, and I wanted, I needed a Pete story. I needed what was the through line for Pete in that book. And when she said that, it just clicked in my brain, and I couldn't wait to, and not that I didn't want to hear her, but I couldn't wait to get out of my chair and back into my hotel room to just start typing this, because, and then I had the title, too. I, I think I had a working title that wasn't really doing much for me. It was called Relics, which just sounded like a like a sci-fi novel or something, something not, it didn't fit. And, um, And then I just got that idea, and I realized that the title was Miami Midnight, which also symbolizes, like, endings, and it has Miami in the title, so you can kind of, sum up what it's about. It has that jazz feel because the the core crime involves a jazz musician who's murdered. Um, But then I knew I wanted to explore the story of his mom because nobody, we didn't really talk about her in the series and I wanted him to get some closure and some connectivity with her. And so the book jumps back and forth between her life and his and he basically gets to know her by reinvestigating her murder in some ways. Wow. Yeah, thanks, (laughs) Attico.
1: It is so exciting and so fascinating to hear how you approach that series, um, really anchored in the character's evolution. Um, yeah, it gives a person a lot to think about who may be um, trying to get a get their arms around a project with um, yeah mystery yeah. intrigue and. Yeah. I think um, yeah. I think some people
0: think about genre fiction as very, very plot-driven and very um, sort of you know with sort of stock characters. You know, you got the you know, the, the blonde and the you know <laughs> whatever. You know? Yeah,
2: the, the grizzled ex cop. <laughs> exactly, all that sort of
0: stuff. You you these know. characters, um, but I think the ones that I really love the most are really rooted in a place, like um, you know, Laura Littman's books. With Baltimore becomes this really this just whole character of the book, you know. It's not just yeah. a setting, and, and also ones that you know do do something different with character. You know?
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like setting is so important. Like for me, my favorite PI novels, whether they're serialized or episodic or what have you, they're so strong in setting. Like Laura Lippman's books, you know, Dennis Lehane's, uh, Pat and Angie books are so strong with you know Boston and that area and. George Pelicanos' DC story, like they all feel really, you know, strong in setting, I and mean, you gotta kind of get a kick as a reader, or I did, like learning about these new places that you know are probably real, and, and kind of getting a sense of the place from from a native. Um, I love James Elroy's uh, LA Quartet just because you get to explore LA in that era, and um, yeah, it's funny I did get to talk to Attica after that. I sent her an email, kind of explaining if you saw somebody darting out of the ballroom (laughs) that was me, like, running up to my hotel. but, you know, she said something too that was also really important, she said, you know, I feel like our stories are, not our, just hers and mine, but stories in general are always in conversation with each other, so I thought that was really resonant, and um, to what what you were saying earlier about character, it's um, to me the best stories come from character, so if you like, you really flesh out your characters and think about what they do and what they say, and then you drop them into situations, the story kind of Itself. It sounds easy when I say that. It's much harder in practice, but um, if the characters are developed, you kind of see them doing their own things on their own, and you're just like the chronicler. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's so cool. Well, um, turning to some of your other work, you, you had a Star Wars book. That was last year? Yeah.
2: During the pandemic? Yeah, that, <laughs>
0: yeah
2: it came out in August, like in the, in the midst of the pandemic, so I didn't get to go do, I mean, there were so many things we didn't get to go do last year, I guess. But, um, you know, there weren't many, there weren't any in-person events. But it came out in August, and um, it's basically the origin story of Poe Dameron. So it was a great, like, palette cleanser from this, like, gritty, like, Miami PI series to like, hopping into space and writing a Poe Dameron story. It's basically his origin story. Um, and so if you've seen him in the, the recent Star Wars trilogy and you want to know, like, how he came to be that person that, you know, he's the first one of the first new characters you meet in The Force Awakens. And this kind of sets you up and, and takes you. It's a YA story, so it's very much just kind of coming of age, but it was fun. And it's it was basically a crime novel in space, which I had a blast writing.
0: <laughs> and what was that like to write it? I mean, do you have to, I mean, I imagine you are a Star Wars fan? Yeah. But yeah. you have to sort of, Do they do they prep you in a lot of ways to write it, or...?
2: Yeah, I mean, they reached out and said, is this something you would be interested in doing? And I waited patiently a second or two before saying, yes, definitely (laughs) it's something I want to be doing. And um, we had an initial phone call, and they talked about the things they wanted to accomplish. Like, at this point, it was right before uh, Rise of Skywalker came out. So I didn't really know much about the movie, but there were certain beats that they knew had to happen, and certain characters, like uh, Zori Zori Bliss, that they knew had to be in the Poe story because she played such a big part in the movie, kind of referencing referencing Poe's life. Um, So they gave me the elements, and and I wrote an outline based on that, and we went back and forth, and it moved pretty quickly, and it was, you know, I think a lot of people have anxiety about work for hire, or, you know, playing in an established sandbox, thinking that you're just going to be told what to write, but they were very open to new ideas and new characters, I got to create this whole crew of, like, uh, spice Runners, which are basically like pirates in space, and uh, and really like dive in and, and explore things that I wanted to explore, like what, what's the layout of the criminal underworld in the Star Wars universe between Return of the Jedi and Force Awakens. So a lot of things that interested me as like a fan of true crime and sci-fi, and, and you know, there's no lightsabers in the novel. Not that I don't like lightsabers, but it's a very grounded, kind of gritty um, YA crime novel. So that was fun to write.
1: Yeah did they did they have any um like you must never do this thing were there any absolute thou shalt not
2: um i didn't i don't think i stepped on any uh you know any weird landmine story-wise so i didn't get any like oh you can never do that i think it was always very little tweaks like this this name doesn't sound like a star wars name or um you can't do this because this is happening over here but it was never like oh my god you've like crossed <laughs> the unforgivable star wars <laughs> line well, George Lucas will be calling you. <laughs> also, when you're doing work for hire, you do a pretty tight outline, whereas with the peak books, um, you know, it's, it's much looser because it's all in my head most of the time. Though so I've learned now to be a much more diligent outliner, it's much more helpful in terms of like writing quickly.
0: And, um, I mean, I think that some people also look, I mean, it's sort of interesting that people look at, um, you know, writing a Star Wars book or writing a comic book as limiting because you're being given, uh, you know, rules like a comic book has to be this long or these characters have to be involved or whatever. But I think it's right. interesting because, um, you know, I've talked to you know, poets before and they, they talk about like when you write in verse or something, there's all these rules, but somehow that can also open up your creativity in a different way because yeah, if you true. have no yeah. if you have no limits that's sometimes even harder you know or, or or not harder but that but that there's something that makes sort of it's giving you a box to be creative in that can be making more creative i guess is what i'm trying to say
2: yeah it's like a different kind of creativity sometimes having a completely blank page and no restriction can be terrifying you just like don't know where to start and you don't know like where to stop and um, with something like comics as a medium, there's only so much you can do in certain spaces. Um, I'm writing a, I'm working, I haven't announced it yet, but so I'm working on a guidebook of comic book writing, um, and they will be, we'll announce more as we get closer. But it's, it's basically there, there are buckets you can fill. You can do, you can only have one action in a panel. You can only have so many panels on a page. You can only have so many word balloons on a pa- in a panel, and so many words in a word balloon. You know, so it's like, it's almost like a formula. Whereas with prose, you can do whatever you want. You can spend 10 pages describing a toothbrush, if you want to. It doesn't mean that anyone's gonna read that, but you could do that if you wanted. Whereas with comics, there's no rational way to do that. You have, you can only do so much and you kind of filter your ideas through that formula. So I love it because it's collaborative. I get to work with artists and other writers and. kind of pool our resources and usually the the final piece is much greater than the parts you know much greater than our individual contributions like almost like making music um you know having played in bands you like it's like when you're jamming with somebody else and the music comes together and it becomes something better than what you did by yourself whereas with pros, it's great if you want to be in control of every element which sometimes i do i want to like make sure that the camera angle is the way i want it and the descriptions are the way i want it but um I find it's great. It's great to alternate. It's great to do, a, you know, really do a deep dive on a novel, and then when I want to collaborate and kind of get that fix, I'll work on a comic book, and I can do it, kind of, contemporaneously too. Yeah, we were t- just talking
1: a little bit about that, and I and I'm struck by the um, the, the paradoxically liberating nature of formula, mm-hmm. and you you mentioned um, a kind of parallel with music that you can do improvisational um, work with other musicians as long as you all are have agreed for instance on what the beat is or what, right. what the style is um, yeah. and yeah to think about doing um, comic books I've, so I've never had that experience and it does sound really exciting I've found um, some formula, literary formulae is that the plural? To be um, really, really helpful. That mm. then I, well, and you, you, both of you were talking about this. I think I feel then um, excited and invigorated to go with whatever the idea is that I have, where if I think, oh, you know, I, I'm not gonna worry about any element of traditional narrative and just write a kind of free for all. I, mm-hmm. I so admire, I mean, people who can pull that off and there, I'm trying to think of some books offhand. Actually, I'm thinking of like um, Sigrid Nunez's The Friend, which okay. was not, um, anyway, I just, I'm so impressed when a book really works that doesn't actually conform to any kind of formula because I think as readers, you know, the making of meaning is a collaborative endeavor. And so the reader has to um, have some kind of goalposts to hang on. there that you need to bring them along as a writer. And readers have certain sets of expectations that then can make the whole experience a satisfying one. Um, yeah, that, that's very yeah.
2: true. Yeah, and I, I also, I, I'm sorry, I really believe in the idea that you don't you don't give readers what they want. You give them kind of what they need. And it's a cliche because it's true. I mean as a reader, I love when I'm surprised and I'm very rarely surprised. And it's, it's, I don't mean that to be jaded. I just mean like I'm in the industry. I've read a lot of things and very rarely do I read something. And I'm like, Oh wow, I had no idea that was coming. So there's great value in not giving people what they expect or what they want. So I really, I try to do that. Um, you know, you want to echo the tropes, like the PI genre or superheroes, like you want to pay homage to what's come before. But I like to flip some of those things to make it interesting for me to write, which is the, you know, it sounds selfish, but I always want it to be interesting to me first, because otherwise, I'll never finish it. But then you also want the you want the reader to get a kick out of it too. It's yes. so
0: interesting. Yeah, I didn't expect you to go to music when you were talking before, which is what I was going to say. I thought you were going to go to movies because I started uh, yeah. off. I started off as a screenwriter and a filmmaker, and I there's a ton of overlap with comic books. I mean, basically, when they're like, why don't you storyboard your movie? You're basically yeah. creating a comic book. Um, But also just the way there's all these rules about, you know, you don't, you don't write too much about something or else there's just going to be this lingering shot of the camera on the toothbrush, if you described every aspect of the toothbrush, that takes too long, so you just have to be like, there was a toothbrush, and you know, you just have to keep going, and allow your collaborators to fill in the details, so I I think that was really interesting that you brought it to music.
2: Yeah, and I think it applies to prose as well. Like, there's detail when detail is warranted. Um, at least that's how I think about it. I mean, there's some writers that over over describe, and I think that's their thing. But my writing is pretty stark, and if there's a description, it's usually because I want you to pay attention to that. Well, I, I like the kind of imaginary contract you have with the reader, and basically, you're giving them just enough to form that picture in their mind. And I, as a reader, don't really like to be over overfed. Like, you know, or you know jet black hair like overly descriptive like jet black I've used that but um, you know what I mean like if it's so much description you don't get to the crux of the story um, I, I like to just give them enough so they can form a picture in their mind um, like Pete I never really describe in detail what Pete is you know he has some stubble. you know he probably has brown hair he's like medium height but it's never like in hyper detail because I want the reader to create their movie create that movie in their mind without being catered to too much
0: yeah, it's hard though because I think people do sort of demand that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah. 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 So, um, do you, do you, you said you were mentioned that you would, you know, sort of go back and forth between a novel and a comic book or are you, are you at this point focused on comic books? You said you mentioned you were writing a non-fiction.
2: Yeah, that's something that's just getting started so uh, it's still, it's you know, New to me, but it's fun. I mean, I just turned in my next novel to a copy edit, so it'll be a galley soon, and it's called Secret Identity, and it's set in um, 1970s New York, and it follows a Cuban American woman who moves from Miami to New York to work in comics, and she her dream is to to basically write superhero comics or to write comic books because she grew up reading them with her dad in Miami, you know, having just recently arrived from Cuba, but she enters a very male dominated industry and her boss is not keen on giving her opportunities to write and so she feels really boxed out and a colleague approaches her and says hey I've got this chance to write this new comic book do you want to write it with me I mean it would be anonymous but eventually we'll figure out how to credit you properly you know that's like the first sign of trouble but um she does it she co-writes it and uh, it comes out and it's a huge hit but in the interim her colleague is murdered and she finds him dead and is like, is left to kind of witness the success of her idea. It becomes this huge hit for this small comic book company, and she can't really tell anyone about it because if she tells her boss, her boss will fire her. And they, you know, what are you talking about? Like, why did you do that? Um, so she she feels she's compelled to basically re- to investigate his murder, his, her friend's murder, to solve what happened to her friend, but also to reclaim this character. And um, it's called Secret Identity, and it comes out early next year.
1: Mm-hmm. So hearing you talk a little bit about this, I have to ask, did you get any pushback on writing a woman character?
2: Um, I didn't get pushback. I think I mean, I've written female characters before like the black ghost um, superhero comic I write is, is a female protagonist. Um, I think it's I think it's good to write outside of your experience, but it's also important to try and educate yourself on what you're writing. you know I think I think the issue happens when, Someone tries tries to claim that their story is definitive uh, when they haven't done the research, and I don't. I, I'm not writing the definitive like female narrative. I think she is a female character, and, and things happen to her, and it's a mystery, and I think that's interesting. But uh, I'm I by no means claim to be uh, the ultimate expert on the inside of a
1: yeah, in, yeah, yeah yeah the interior life of a woman. Yeah, I um I ask because you know it just is in the ether right now this um this critique of writing if any character that is not, especially a protagonist who does not conform to your, as the author's personal profile. And I find it deeply problematic and troubling that there would be such pushback because I think of fiction as this opportunity to inhabit the skin of someone other. And an author doing that is you can open it up to conversation as to whether or not you know you might have done that in a way that's appropriately reflective of a woman's experience in comic book publishing but um then you can have a conversation about that it's yeah to to forbid a writer from writing anything gets gives me the willies that's my
2: yeah i think i think these conversations are good to have i think it's important to talk about what's okay and what's not okay and what people feel comfortable with um Obviously, writing this book, I had, I had to do much more research on this than I did for, like, a Pete novel. Like, Pete has a similar background to me. He's Cuban-American. He's from Miami. We're about the same age, maybe he's a little younger. So I, I didn't feel like I needed to talk to anyone and say, what was it like being a, you know, 30-something Cuban-American guy in Miami during this time? But with this, I did have to do some research, and I feel like I don't think there's, you know, I think people should write what they want to write, but they should also do the homework. You know, if you're going to write about... A woman working in comics in the 70s with x y experience i don't have those experiences and um, unless i'm going to do the homework it, it, it would be it, i would be unprepared if i if i did it without doing the right work and i spoke to a lot of women that worked in comics in that era i spoke to a lot of friends of mine that worked in comics at that time i did some i did a lot of reading uh, had some beta readers and some sensitivity readers just to make sure everything was kind of I didn't miss anything because it's not my experience, and like I said, I didn't, it didn't write it to be the definitive moment. You know, she just happens to be a woman and is the protagonist of the story, and, and that felt like the most interesting path for me. But um, yeah, I think people should write what they want, but they should also expect to have these conversations, and I think it's okay to have them. And it's um, my issue is when someone writes outside of their experience and doesn't do the often and doesn't, and, and claims that their their taking. Definitive, and uh, that's a, a, a bold point to make saying say anything you've written is a, a definitive experience, but it's also you, you put in the work and you just be ready to have the conversations. I think it's you know, I think we're having a lot of uncomfortable conversations in crime fiction, and I think that's good. I think it's good to have them, I think it's really important.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think there just is a I, I, I think I think what's happening is that people who normally were not asked to have a conversation at all they could feel like oh well i'm not going to write this story about um you know a 12 year old african-american boy in alabama and i'm just going to write this book and and they didn't they no, they they're just some of them are offended that they're being questioned like why yeah, do you I think, think that you're why do more. you think that's appropriate for you do you know anything about you <laughs> have you talked to them <laughs> you know you you're know, a any, white woman in massachusetts like why why <laughs> yeah. do you think this and then, then the fact that then the, the other thing that I think really, really is painful is that publishers will then say, well, we already have a book coming out with an African-American protagonist. Why would we buy any of these other books from actual African-American authors <laughs> when we have this one from this white woman in Massachusetts? And I think that's the whole painful conversation that everyone's having is that yeah, whose I
2: mean, I voices there's value in, yeah. yeah own voices own yeah. voices stories are important and I think there there's great value to having them and I think it's important for writers to tell their stories and tell their experience and I think um, I think if someone is bristling at being questioned when they're writing outside their experience they haven't prepared themselves you know when you choose to do that and you choose to write outside of your experience you have to be ready for someone to ask you the question and then you know what did you do to prepare to write this character you know like it we're writers we're supposed to research we're supposed to like immerse ourselves in the world we create and uh, if we don't do that you know then people are going to question you and you're not going to have the answers because you did didn't do your homework you yeah. yeah
1: and then it sounds like i mean not only did you do all of this kind of background research and homework by um, being in conversation with with these women, whose you know primary that was their experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also you mentioned beta readers and sensitivity readers. That mm-hmm. then you had actual you know folks who fit that profiles eyes on the page before it went further, and that's that's so important. I think.
2: Yeah, I mean they're going to catch things that you would not have even considered because you have not lived that experience. And that's important. And it's important to be respectful and not just to have beta readers and sensitivity readers just to check the box and say, I did it, so I'm validated. They don't approve your work. They're just giving you feedback. If you take it, it's on you. Um, But it's important to kind of see that through. I didn't need to do, like I said, I didn't need someone to tell me what like a Cuban American 30 something male would do, but I I probably need some feedback on writing outside my experience. And um, you know, there's great value to own voices Stories because it's so genuine and it's so pure, and I think that the validity of that is that we need more of that. We need. I want. To, I want to learn about other cultures and experience and lives through the people that have lived similar stories. And I think um, I don't think that limits anyone else. I think you can write whatever you want, but it's it shouldn't be a free pass anymore, is it? I, I think. I think maybe that's where we. I don't think you said that, but I think people bristle because they were never. Question before, and it's okay to be questioned now. Like things change, like yes. society changes, like it's okay. Like you know, maybe it's okay to have to validate the work you do a little bit more than you did before.
1: Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. And like Meredith said, um, there's also that question of space in the publishing world for. Um, I'm I'm happy that you mentioned Alex. The hunger for own voices stories. Mm-hmm. That I I hope we are getting hungrier and hungrier for them. Yeah. And that the publishing world is hearing that, um, so that we can we can read those first-hand accounts of whatever the experience yeah. of any individual might
2: be. Yeah, I think we're seeing more of it, and I think we I hope we can see more and more. I think I I, I don't think it should ever be a one-for-one one, like Meredith, like you were kind of saying, like where oh we have this variety, so why do we need this own voices version? It's totally different. It's like you know and um i think it really depends on like i said how definitive you're treating your story like if, if you're trying to give a definitive narrative of this experience then it probably should be something you've experienced yourself you know like yeah yeah
0: yeah yeah i mean i i think it it is interesting and it is one of those awkward moments and we've just come off of you know 4 years of sort of people trying to erase a lot of experiences and I think it's that's why it's also super sensitive for everybody I think Um, but I'm just super I'm, I'm really excited I hope I hope something similar is happening in comic books I don't follow comic books quite as much but just that what's happening in crime fiction I feel like is that we have opened it up in so many ways it used to be like you know like you could count on one hand the number of you know, cr- crime writers. Um, you know that were writing from you know an African American perspective, or you know Hispanic, or whatever. And now it feels like it's really there's a there's this opening to me. And I now you know we've talked to obviously some of them on the show, and it's like it's not as great of an opening. (laughs) It's like a a little thing and you're prying it open. It could always be better, yeah. It uh, it could always be be better, better. but it is really fun and exciting to me. And I love seeing also, you know, younger people coming up and being excited about the genre and bringing that energy and bringing all their, uh, you know, their perspectives to it, because I think that makes it a much richer genre.
2: Well, you want the genre to reflect the world we live in. We want to see, like, we want. I mean, when I started writing the people, a big reason I wrote them that way was because I wanted to read books about someone like me. I didn't want to just, you know, most of the protagonists in CI fiction at that point were kind of middle aged or, you know, grizzled ex cops, white ex cops. And that's fine. There's, there's great stories to be told in that space. But I wanted to read some with someone who maybe had a different background. And which isn't to say there weren't any, like, Latinx. PIs or detectives, but there were few, definitely fewer than there are now. So um, it's just nice because I know now that writers will see themselves more frequently, and that's super important, whether it's like a superhero comic where you see someone that looks like you or acts like you, or a PI novel or a crime novel where the protagonist has your experiences, that's going to make you want to engage with the story. And it's also going to open doors to other people who want to learn more about people that aren't like them and that's just like diversity and in, in, in a nutshell
1: yeah so what with the comic book writing um you talked about the collaborative nature of it is um there a is there a kind of a leader of that or a primary story teller does the writer sort of set the stage for it and then the um artists elaborate on that in their way or how, how does it how does it work
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, a lot of times um, the writer or the co-writers will, you know, usually we talk to the artist and we just ask, you know, what do you want to draw? This is the idea we have. And we type up a rough plot, which is kind of a synopsis of sorts. And um, there's two ways to interact with the artist. You can either do a script, which is a very detailed panel by panel breakdown, like page one, panel one, close-up shot, um, any other details you want in that panel, like the bookcase behind him, blah, blah, blah. Or you can do a page by page breakdown where you say, you're, it's much more conversational where you say, hey, you know, this is what we're thinking. This should be the primary focus of the page. You can break it down into however panels you want, like a beat sheet uh, with varying level of detail. And that usually that's usually what you do when it's someone you're comfortable with, when it's someone you've worked with before and you know kind of the language of their art and that they can kind of pick up on your cues. Um, and then and then if you choose that path, then you script at the end. Once the art comes in, you, you layer in the dialogue and the captions with the art, which I find much better, because you, you never you can't really relay like what an expression, what expression you want. Like sometimes details come through that you weren't expecting, so you change the dialogue accordingly. It's it's fun. It's, it's so collaborative and, and kind it's of like a blast. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, this has been really really fun to catch up with you, and I'm super excited. Yeah. You have a new book coming out, and I know. Um, did you also You also have a new comic coming out.
2: Yeah, the Black Ghost, which is a collection of the first five issues, which were you could get them digitally on Comixology, which is like the premier digital platform. But it's going to be collected in print, and it'll be out on May fifth from Dark Horse Comics. So at comic shops or bookstores, and uh, yeah, that's the big stuff. Congratulations! So far. Woo. That's, so awesome. <laughs>
1: that's so yeah. awesome! That's so awesome!
2: Just got a nice, uh, nice book list in PW over here, so that was cool. Oh, great! Great, yeah.
1: great. Uh, Kristen. Um,
0: reviews for them so she subscribes
1: <laughs> anonymously it's hilarious they're anonymous reviews but our Name appears in the masthead whenever I guess our reviews show up.
2: That's so funny, yeah.
1: Yeah. The following anonymous people will be here today.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: you can place the name with the
2: review. That's right. I'm sure there's people that do that. That like try right, to kind of piece the puzzle together. That seems like something that would take away really too much time. Yes. Yeah. I know. And
1: to what end? I don't know. The, that's yeah, the obsessive.
2: Like, I mean, you that's,
0: that's the obsessive behavior of writers in the uh, <laughs> marketing
1: <laughs> phase. Of it. Yeah, no, I think this This one. (laughs) Thank you, congratulations, Alex, and oh my gosh, your work is so exciting and uh, carry on, kids and all. (laughs) Yes,
0: and um, (laughs) and thanks for for educating us more about uh, the process. It's really awesome, and I think your um, I think your book will be really exciting too if it all comes together. Um, Your guide, because I think. It's a, that's super, that's a, it's a great gift to give people. Um, I mean, yeah, I know when I was, I was learning how to write, reading, you know, how to write a mystery, how to, it was hugely helpful because you just felt like, how, how does this work? I, I can, I read it, but if it's going well, you don't see how it's put together.
2: <laughs> yeah, because you're just being entertained, but yeah. the foundational stuff is important.
0: Well, thank that's you time. so much for joining us, Alec. <laughs> thank Thanks you. So it, was it was great talking
2: to you. Take care.
0: Well, that was really awesome to see Alex again, even though couldn't. Couldn't be in person at the festival again
1: this year. <laughs> I'm just so happy that you met him and invited him to join us. What a stimulating conversation! And as always, we could go on so much longer. And we never asked him about his podcast, the Lethal Lit Podcast. Oh, I, mean, I know, so much and I more. and I do always feel.
0: I mean, you invited um, some folks who had been podcasters for years and years, and I remember that we were quite nervous because we probably <laughs> couldn't get our microphones to work, and we were like, "Oh,
1: we're with professionals," you know. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) oh but he was so gracious and um wow what cool work
0: yeah and i love that it sort of it really does appeal to me i love talking to people who write in multi-genres because i think there's obviously something that each thing gives you that the other doesn't so yes when you write a novel you're in charge of everything the one's telling you that You know, oh, Captain America wouldn't do that or whatever. I mean, you know, and then, but then, writing in a whole different way, then he has this opportunity to collaborate with artists, and that's just a lot. Sounds like a lot of fun, you know, to have a team that works on something together. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really, it was really fun conversation. Yes. Yeah, and I think you know, in May we we might uh, we might we're probably be talking to a poet, which will be really fun. We haven't talked to a poet in a while.
1: Yes, a poet also musician. Yes, um, right element. Yes, so so that'll be really fun fun. to pick up on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Meredith, I hope that your revisions continue to come along apace, and um, (laughs) yours too. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. I will press
0: on. Oh, well, and I was going to um, quote Lee Child when I was going to give you, um, you know, you had mentioned that Alabama and driving through Alabama, you know, that you're things. and yes. I, I saw Lee Child speak one time, and he's a thriller writer, and he wrote a, his series, his character goes all over the United States, and someone said, how did you learn about South Dakota to write this book set there, and he said, "I watched Fargo." <laughs> <laughs> right. there's and then, there's some work. Yeah, and then someone said, "Well, did you um, did you visit?" Oh, he said, "When I wrote my book set in North Carolina, and it was actually at a conference in North Carolina. It was at a at a festival in North Carolina." He said, "I watched my cousin Vinny." <laughs> oh wow! So maybe you should just watch <laughs> me... Sweet Home Alabama, and then you'll be oh, all
1: set. It does make me feel a little better. I have to say it is um, one of the things I am I'm wondering about with this novel. I thought it would be a lot more about place, the places as they pass through, but it's so much more about the characters and their relationships to one another. And I want that to be reflected actually in the place and the feel of a a space. but I am I am finding the priority is on these characters and the ways that they're evolving and the ways that their relationship is changing. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I wonder how this will all come together. And I'm at kind of max number of words. So as far as, um, I mean, I'll, I'll do some cutting for sure. But I... Yeah. Anyway, that's I guess for the next draft <laughs> and the next and next month's conversation. <laughs> well,
0: lovely yes. to see you as always, and um, we'll talk soon next month. Sounds good. Till then, bye bye.